0: Welcome to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, DC Lundberg. Well, that didn't pick up as well on the mic as I thought it was going to, but I have opened a Snapple iced tea, which gives me real fact number 1457. It is possible to record four outs in one half of a baseball inning. Okay, well, that's kind of appropriate. Welcome to Locked On Mariners, ladies and gentlemen, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, or T-L-O-P-N, or Tloppin. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program on whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners podcast or any program here on Tloppin'. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. Follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg, L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G, for those who are indeed scoring at home. I hope you enjoyed our Veterans Day uh, tribute, ladies and gentlemen, on Wednesday. As this is now Saturday, boy, these last four or five weeks have been—they haven't really been all that great. I just, that, which is why the, ske- the programming schedule has been as wonky as it's been. I just can't seem to buy a break. But we are back. I shouldn't say we're back. We never left anywhere. We're we're here and John Miller's with me, Locked On Mariners contributor John Miller. John Miller, I sh- sure hope you're as coherent. Oh my God. Wow! Just say, just say hello.
1: Hello, it is wonderful to be here. Yeah, is it really? Well, for me it is. I'm not sure about you. <laughs> the wh-
0: I'm, well, okay, fair enough. So, anyways, John, uh, let's talk about four outs in a baseball inning. We have no script today, ladies and gentlemen. We're just kind of go off on whatever pops into our brain heads. Four outs in a baseball inning. Um, do you know which pitcher was the first to record four strikeouts in an extra inning? It's a former it's Mariner. It's a former Mariner, and it happened about ten years ago. He was with the Blue Jays at the time. If you have no idea, that's fine. It's
1: gotta be someone really obscure.
0: It actually is, but this obscure pitcher wound up making an all-star team.
1: Okay, you better just tell me.
0: It is Steve Delabar.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: You remember Steve Delabar? I-, I do. <laughs> Pitched uh, about a season and a half with the Mariners, I guess. Uh, actually, I, let's let's look at his stats right here. He was a 27-year-old uh, first-year pitcher in 2011. He appeared in six games for the Mariners that year. So, you know, just a brief cup of coffee. First game uh, was in September. And then in the 2012 season, he appeared in 34 games for the Mariners. Did pretty well. four one seven ERA. And then was dealt to the Blue Jays midseason. I guess they were in a pennant run. Um, as a matter of fact, he was traded for Eric Thames. The Mariners got Eric Thames in that deal. Remember him?
1: I do. Jeez, you are really racking my brain with these.
0: Well, that might be the point of today's episode now that we're into it. But Delabar made the All-Star team in 2013 with the Blue Jays. It appeared in fifty-five games that year with a four-two-two ERA, age twenty-nine. And then next year thirty games, uh four four nine one ERA. Didn't do much after that. He is a form he was a former substitute teacher, which and that's why I always called him Teach. And when he was with the Mariners, I thought it would be cool if his bullpen walk-in music would have been Teacher Teacher by 38 Special, but that's I think that's going back a little bit too far.
1: <laughs> not a bad song though.
0: It is not a bad song. 38 Special is a great band. Probably let's talk about 38 Special a little bit. I don't know why, because this is just gonna be one of those shows. Um, 38 Special is. I'm serious, gang. 38 Special, I mean, I love my, you know, heavy metal music, at least what they called heavy metal in the 1980s, at least, which is now today just considered hard rock. But 38 Special might be my favorite band who's not a heavy metal band. They've, they're terrific. I know you and your wife have been listening to a lot of classic rock lately. Yes, sir. The, uh, your wife messaged our little group here in. Um, in a in a group chat program, that uh, my afternoon music choice, the best of Cream, another good band, Eric Clapton, Ginger Baker, Jack Bruce, could have been Ginger Baker, excellent drummer. Eric Clapton obviously needs no introduction. White Room is a rock and roll classic, all time classic. Another thing, um, John, that's been going on in our group chat. Um, we've, been getting, we've been trying to get your wife to listen to a little bit more Dawkin. Yes.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> which is one of my all-time favorite bands. I love Dawkin. And uh, George Lynch, the guitar player, is originally from Spokane. Obviously, he doesn't live here anymore. And his musical tastes, my goodness, have they changed over the years and evolved. And he's no longer really a heavy metal guitarist. He's like more industrial type stuff now, which is completely unlistenable. But back in the day, man, he was one of the top guitarists in rock and roll.
1: He is good.
0: He was very, very good. And uh, after Dawkins broke up, he uh, had his own band called Lynch Mob, which recorded two albums before they parted ways in 1990 and 1992. Their debut album was very, very good. If you have not had a chance to listen to it, ladies and gentlemen, go seek it out, as well as Don Dawkins' solo album from 1990, which he recorded after Dawkins broke up. And that solo album was um, something of a supergroup. John Norum from Europe was one of his guitarists. Steve Baltus from Accept was his bassist. And Mickey D was the drummer, who later wound up with Motorhead. One of the better drummers out there that nobody knows about as far as I'm concerned, John.
1: Definitely. Oh, yeah. And drummers, as far as I'm concerned, are are kind of like the. it's also said about bassists. They're the underrated ones. You're going to notice the lead guitar player. Yep. You're going to notice the lead singer, especially if we're talking about someone like Dawkin.
0: Yeah. Who's going to let it be known that he's there?
1: Yes. But unless they stop playing, you're not going to notice that the drummer <laughs> or the bass player are gone.
0: That's true. Although, you know... Or,
1: or that they're even there.
0: In And bands with mediocre drummers and bassists, I mean, they can still be okay, but... It's it's kind of weird. Same with keyboard players. I mean, there are only so many John Lords to go around. Uh, yes, John Lord from Deep Purple, and later with White Snake. If you are indeed scoring at home. Speaking of, one thing that I've been kind of getting into a little bit more is hard rock music that have keyboards, like Deep Purple esque aggressive keyboards, which is something that I never really appreciated. You know, in, until recently. Uh, do you prefer your hard rock with or without keyboards, John? or does it kind of depend on the band
1: it really depends on the band i tend to focus more on a drummer than i would a keyboardist
0: fair enough and Dawkins really didn't have a keyboard player they used keys but they used studio m- musicians for the most part most heavy metal bands of the day really didn't have a dedicated keyboard player so now that we've spent the uh, entire first half of the show talking about music john i think it's time for a uh, for a little commercial break wouldn't you Yes. All right, maybe we'll be back to talking about baseball on the other side of this commercial break. If you've got a question or comment, send it to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com, and I will consider using it for for a future mailbag episode, which I have been wanting to do now for two weeks, but Jason Hernandez's schedule and mine's, they just have not been able to jive. Jason, there's one specific email that Jason does need to answer on the air. He was not available to record this weekend and he's not available to record next weekend as well. So who knows when that email episode is going to be. But if you want to get a question or a comment in before that, send it to Locked on Mariners at gmail.com for consideration and remember questions and comments on any subject whatsoever. Remember it's a family show, so keep it appropriate. Locked on Mariners: much ado about Nothing episode will continue after this. Now time for the second half of Locked on Mariners. Once again, your host, D.C. Lundberg. Ah, yes. Thank you very much, Joey Martin. John Miller and I are back here on Locked on Mariners, where we spent most of the first half talking about nothing to do with baseball, but in fact music. But that's going to change in the second half, I hope. John, thanks again for joining us here today. Always a pleasure. Absolutely. You mentioned something during our commercial break, which uh, actually warrants discussion real discussion, Um, the Marlins have a new general manager, and it is a history making general manager. John, I will give you the uh, honor and pleasure of announcing this history making hire. The Marlins have hired Kim
1: Ung as their new general manager. She is the first female GM in Major League Baseball.
0: She is, but she has been in baseball for a very, very long time. She's act- she's very well qualified. This isn't just a token hire. She's got the credentials.
1: That was my first concern, and then I clicked on the four-letter networks link <laughs> and opened it up, and she has really been great in baseball.
0: Mm-hmm. She has a very extensive, impressive resume.
1: For the past nine years, she was MLB Senior Vice President of Baseball Operations. Mm -hmm. She has also served as the Assistant GM for the New York Yankees and the Los Angeles Dodgers. And those Yankee teams... That was back when they had their three World Series in a row.
0: She was uh, assistant GM from 1998 to 2001. That was their heyday. And then, like you said, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And she was there for nine seasons. When also, they were pretty good. Before that, she was assistant director of baseball operations for the White Sox in the early 90s. Her baseball career goes back a very long way. Which actually leads me to wonder why she wasn't considered for a general manager job before this
1: it really does and i that you have to wonder whether that's on her being comfortable in her position as the senior vp of baseball operations
0: for which team i'm sorry again that was for mlb ah so maybe she just didn't want to leave the league that's understandable
1: yeah, that's not a bad job at all. And for anybody, well, for DC or I, mm-hmm. and anybody listening who's a true fan, you would love a job like that.
0: <laughs> true, yes. Just to
1: be working around baseball every day.
0: Absolutely. Or for me, bowling or curling. I would take either one, any one of the three. Although baseball pays a lot more, let me tell you. But anyway, some more background. On, uh, on Ms. Ng. She uh, graduated from the New- University of Chicago in 1990. She was a softball player. She was actually a very good softball player and then immediately took a job with the Chicago White Sox upon graduation. You know, she's, she's been in baseball her whole life. So this is, you know, I'm, I'm happy about this hire. I think this is fantastic. You know, the history-making aspect of it to me is actually secondary to the fact that the Marlins have somebody highly qualified to be their general manager. You know, when push comes to shove, this is a business. It's a highly competitive business. Hiring a qualified candidate who's got the resume, credentials, and track record necessary to do the job effectively is much more important than just checking off politically correct boxes. Kim Ung has the resume. She's got the credentials, and she's got the track record. I think she's going to do an excellent job.
1: Absolutely.
0: And talking about the first female general manager uh, in baseball history kind of leads me to think about bowling, and here's why. Because I've been watching a lot of older tournaments on YouTube lately because there has not been a lot of bowling. Other than the PBA playoffs, which ended last Sunday, there's not going to be a telecast until after Thanksgiving, and it's not a PBA event. It's just an exhibition. But for a period of time when the uh, women's tour was – dark when there was when there was no women's tour the pba started accepting women as members in uh, 2004 and the first woman ever to make a pba telecast was the great liz johnson john in 2005 i want to say 2000 it was somewhere somewhere in that era and she actually wound up winning a game on that telecast
1: in those links you sent me they mentioned something about her it was just kind of a Privia when one of the announcers mentioned.
0: Yes, it was the uh, banquet open, I believe 2005. I could be wrong about the year, but she beat Wes Malott on that show and on the TV shows which women have made as finalists, I think there have only been four or five of them. Wes Malott seems to be on all of them for some reason, just you know, no. just, just kind of his luck of the draw. But Johnson did not win that tournament. However, just making a PBA telecast alone is a huge accomplishment in its own right. So very, very impressive. In 2010, Kelly Kulick, another you know brilliant bowler became the first woman to win a PBA event, and that was the Tournament of Champions, which is probably the most prestigious event that's on the PBA Tour.
1: That is very impressive.
0: Very, very impressive indeed. And speaking about Liz Johnson once again, two years ago or three years ago, she became the second woman to win a PBA event during the World Series of Bowling, another prestigious event. And I have to say, John, that... I honestly, I think I like watching women's bowling a little bit better than I do men's bowling. And every member of the PBA will tell you this. The women are better spare shooters. They're more accurate because they they can't rely on the power game and just go through strike fests like the men do sometimes because they don't have the revolution rate or rev rate that the male bowlers have because they're not as physically strong. And honestly, I think that makes for a much more interesting game.
1: I definitely agree, and for those out there listening, if you have not, try to look up a compilation of the PWBA shooting spares. It is fun to watch.
0: They're very, very good spare shooters. They're very accurate. They're much more accurate than the men are when shooting spares because the men don't have to shoot as many spares. But again, I much prefer that style of bowling, to just a power game plus the men leave a lot more splits because the balls that they throw they're just much more powerful because of the rev rate that cuts through the pins in such a way that it leaves a lot of splits and the women don't leave as many splits but if you can ladies and gentlemen go look up bowling i've talked about bowling on this show quite a bit and uh, you're probably sick of hearing about it but (laughs) it's my show john that's just going to about wrap up uh, this episode of locked on mariners where can the good folks find you on twitter
1: I can be found on the Twitter sphere at pilot 69
0: Thank you very much. We're going to be t- uh, back, or I'm going to be back, or somebody's going to be back talking about the awards that have been bestowed upon Major League Baseball players later today or tomorrow. Not quite sure yet, but I am sure of one thing, and that is the fact that joining me on the panel will be Felix Unger, Pac-Man, and a suitcase. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program on any podcasting app that may pop into your head. Follow this show on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners. Follow John on Twitter at SeattlePilots69. I think it kind of got cut out of the audio feed. And follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg. Thanks for listening today, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back later today or tomorrow talking about awards. And I'll, I'll be there then. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Can I this never is Joey Martin speaking for Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.